0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. We're a very special Royal Blue Podcast and a stripped-down podcast today. Uh, I'm your host, Phil Kirkbride, as usual, and joined by, as usual, by Dave Prentice. But Dave Prentice alone, Um, this is a a Preno podcast special um, to look back on a wonderful career uh covering Everton and of course as i'm sure many of you listening to this podcast are aware we're talking about Preno's career because of course he's leaving us uh, leaving the echo for passages new and we will talk about that so over the next half an hour 40 minutes however long we can uh, we can keep going for we'll discuss the weird and wonderful of of, of Preno's career reporting on the blues and, and and what's to come next and um Preno, i guess that's probably the best place to start before we we go back is, is to look forward and um, you know, look, it's, it's, I guess it's no secret now, is it the, the you are leaving us and, and, and going to uh, somewhere new. Can you, what can you tell us and, and, and fill everybody in about what's, what, what's the move for you now?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll be joining Everton's communications team um, in the very near future. Um, in about two hours time, I'll be popping to our favorite local hostelry to have a few beers and say uh, an informal farewell uh, to the echo. Um, and then next Wednesday will be my first day as a communications manager uh, at Everson Football Club. Um, not the head of the communications team, as some people have, uh, have said, nor will I be joining the board of directors, as other people uh, <laughs> seem to have suggested. Uh, but no, I'll just be joining the comms team. And um, I think Everson believes that there are you know, sort of elements and skills that, you know, so that I can bring to the club that can improve uh, comms in some areas. And I hope they're right. I hope that is the case. Um, I have to say, I was a little apprehensive to begin with. You know, because uh, I've done this job for so long uh, 34 years. I've been at the Post and Echo in various guises, and not all of them writing directly about Everton, but certainly for 10 years, I was the, ever, the Echo's Everton correspondent. Uh, and then in more recent years, I've been Chief Sports Writer and Deputy Sports Editor and Sports Editor. Last couple of years, it's been in a slightly different direction with Pools Projects and uh, Head of the Agenda Team, which obviously you're part of, Phil um so yeah it, it's it's i think the time was right uh, you know so for me personally to look for a new challenge you know it sounds like a bit of a trite cliche that uh, but it was and i genuinely believe you know that I, I can make a small difference at Everton. um it's a football club that as everybody knows is very very dear to my heart uh, as a youngster you know it was the club i followed i was a season ticket holder writing about them was a dream job uh, so you know belatedly you know sort of working for them seems like a logical progression for me personally and uh, I hope I can do it justice I hope I can justify the fate that the club has shown in me Uh, and I certainly intend to I can guarantee I will give the job absolutely everything
0: so I don't know how much you can tell us, and maybe you're going to learn a bit more on Wednesday when you get you actually get going and stuff. But in terms of uh, you know the nuts and bolts of the job, um, do you know or can you give us any kind of idea of what what it'll involve? Obviously, as he you said, you're going to be part of the communications team, and you're dealing with media or um, fans or everybody or
1: a bit of everything. To be honest, I mean it's more of like an uh, an umbrella role, but I'll be working alongside some very, very good people already at the football club, the likes of uh, Scott McLeod, obviously worked at the Echo himself, you know, so quite a few years ago. Andy Neild, who looks after the players at French Farm, Mo Magasachi, who um, looks after the, uh, the stadium projects, you know, so all t- top fellas and um, a little bit, bit of a conduit between all of the departments, uh, but hopefully, you know, so just trying to improve things in as many areas as I can, you know, as possible. There's a lot of things the club does, you know, sort of very, very well. But you know, as the fans have made clear, uh, you know, so many times there are other elements of the uh, the club's you know so operation and communications that they don't think work as efficiently uh, as they should do. Notably, the manner in which uh, the man at the very top of the uh, the tree has been, you know, so you know, communicating with the uh, the supporters in recent times that has improved. You know, so very recently, nothing to do with me because uh, I'm not in situ yet. But hopefully, you know, so there's a number of things that we can uh, we can improve. I can't really go into detail, you know. So yes, because like I said, I'm not even you know in the place yet. I don't start until until next Wednesday. Um, but you know, hopefully there's things that we can improve very quickly, and uh, you know, so just for the good of everybody, really.
0: And obviously, uh, p- pleased for you that you you start after the deadline day. Could have been like, back- that
1: was just good. That was good fortune. I mean, that was. Uh, Reach PLC initially, you know, so sort of managers I'm told are supposed to be held to a three month notice period, which uh, they wanted to hold me to. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody actually advised me in writing of that fact. Uh, there was a little bit of a loophole. So uh, I handed in my notice on December the 22nd. And uh, so I was able to leave, you know, so I'll narrow that down a little bit and leave a little bit, you know, so earlier. But they actually said that no, they wanted me to remain until transfer deadline had come and gone. Because obviously, you know, it's, it's such an important time you know, for the newspaper or you know, the, the news industry. Um, and who knows whether it's going to be a busy time at Everton. I certainly hope it is. But I'll be actually doing things from this side of the fence and your yeah. side of the fence uh, up until Tuesday. And then Wednesday, or well, Tuesday's when I actually take all my, my laptop and my phone and everything back into Old Hall Street and hand them over. And then Wednesday morning, I uh, walk through the uh, doors of uh, the library building for the first time uh, to start with Everton. So uh, yeah, something I'm very excited and very uh, you know enthusiastic about.
0: No, and, and, and I hope that you know, yeah, I I, I can see pen across across this call, but I'm hoping that people listening to this can will pick up that in your voice because you do genuinely sound excited. And and as you alluded to earlier, you know, this is a step having supported football club, you know, from from a very young age and then gone around the world and got and 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 reported on them professionally. I guess you it must be a thrill to actually go and work for the football club and, and in such an important position as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it, it's funny, but as you do this job, you know, so for a long time, you lose a little bit of that. What, what's the phrase I, I want to use? You know, so not awestruck, but, you know, so when I first started in journalism, you know, there was a genuine pang of excitement to get into, you know, interview footballers, you know, so my, my heroes. And the longer you do that... Hopefully, I don't become cynical, but you become a little bit more world weary, shall we say? And you know, you see them for the individuals they are, rather than the uh, you know the superstars on the platform that they are. They are painted to be, um, and you become an altogether lot more professional about it. And like I said, I've been doing it for so long. I'm looking at this now, you know, as a role. that I think I can do well for the football club and hopefully improve the football club in certain areas. But what you never ever lose is the passion. You know, so how much you you, you love that football club. And I hope that hasn't you know, sort of influenced the work I've done for the Echo in a negative way. Um, if anything, I've probably been guilty of being a little bit too kind to Liverpool in the past uh, when I was the chief <laughs> sports writer because I was very aware of the fact that people knew I was an Evertonian and uh, that I might be writing critical things about them purely because I had an agenda. And uh, you know, so against them, that was never the case. I was always as professional as I possibly could be, even when I had the uh, the misfortune to be in Istanbul in 2005. <laughs> uh, but because Everton is my club, I've always felt that I could be more you know, critical and you know, so sort of harder with them than maybe you know, so I was with you know, sort of the, the team across the park because they were my team and I was writing about them from the heart. Uh, and I was trying to you know, so sort of write about them. I've always written honestly and sincerely, but you know, because I cared about them. And hopefully I'll take that, you know, into the new role. You know, I care dearly about what happens to that football club and I want to try and do everything I can to try and make it you know, better in whatever small way I can. So, yeah, you know, some people are saying poach return gamekeeper, <laughs> but um, hopefully, you know, so it will be for the best for all parties concerned.
0: Yeah, not only written uh, passionately and from heart, but written brilliantly as well, Prano, and I'm sure everybody listening to this would agree that uh, they've been up- outstanding in that regard. Um and, and equally, you know, we, we had that. Um, you brought that to life, didn't you? What we're going to talk about in the pod, you brought it to life in the book. Um, God, was it last summer? Last September? The book came out, Bruno? <laughs> well? I, I just lose track it's of time, nice. to be honest. About
1: now, hasn't it? Yeah, it was, um, yeah. Summer before last, I think it was. Summer, oh, um, God. Again, wow. it, yeah. It, it's terrifying, isn't it? It's funny, just when, uh, when, when the pandemic started. Uh, because you know we all started working from home and that gave me the opportunity a couple of hours extra a day to actually get stuck into it and like so you know sort of turn it around. So I did. In fact funnily enough, you know so it, it's been so long now I've been trying to go through my emails now and find out you know the people I need to contact to let them know that, that email address will be closing in a few days' time. One of which was the publishing arm of uh, you know so Reach Sport, uh, Steve Hanrahan and his guys. And I said that you know, should the book have done okay over Christmas in paperback form? You'll need a new email address to let me know about any royalties. <laughs> to which Steve said, "Funny you should say that. Uh, it's done particularly well over Christmas. there's a chunk of money, so um, I've got another <laughs> little wedge which I'll I'll spend in the pub this evening."
0: Oh, that's <laughs> what we like to so, do. Yeah.
1: So, so yeah, the, uh, You know, the, the the book's done well, and yeah, anybody that's read it will know, you know, so you know, so how big a part Everton has played in my life, and yeah. will continue to do so going forward.
0: Well, you know, and, and even for people who've read the book, I still want to ask these questions because I think it's 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 always entertaining and and, and enlightening to hear from you. And, and you know, look, I'm sure people have asked you these sort of questions a million times, but I'll make I'll make no apologies for uh, for doing so again. It's professionally, ten years in, yeah. in in the job, then preno covering Everton as the as the Everton reporter for us. What game? Is your favourite? I know it's a a sort of bit of a cliche question, but I think it's it's, it's one worth asking.
1: It's difficult to say, really. I mean, probably my favourite game, I'll always say, and it wasn't Bayern Munich because everybody always thinks that's the the knee jerk reaction. Uh, But my favourite game was uh, Wembley, 84, uh, because as I detailed in the book, I'd been to Wembley three times. That was my third visit, never seen a goal scored. Um, You know, I'd grown up in an area when Liverpool were absolutely dominant. Uh, getting absolutely slaughtered at school every single day. And so 14 years without a trophy. And then uh to go to Wembley and see Graham Sharp, you know, so sort of score a goal, you know, so sort of right in front of us, you know, so sort of down the Everton end. It was just, you know, absolutely you know, sort of an incredible moment, you know, so sort of for me, absolute shudder went down my spine, the like of which, you know, so sort of I've never experienced since, you know, so sort on of a football ground. So that was my favourite game, you know, as a fan. But professionally, it's probably and it's a strange one, but the Wimbledon game in ninety-four because yeah. I knew those players so well. That was in the era when we were allowed to travel with them, you know, so in pre-season, when I was uh you know, I got to know them, you know, so so many of those players I got to know personally. And you saw and you I told the story about Diamonds, about, you know, so i was been for a pint with them in the build up to the end of that season. <laughs> and he said you'll never guess who's on penalties. <laughs> And I went through the list Cotty, no, no, not him, Snod, no, not him. And um, he goes, Snots, no. <laughs> well, I know, and I was just trying to think about Els have being be on there. three goals, three goals of career, man. Um <laughs> you know, I, I said you know, gone, who is it then? He goes, it's me. He goes, I know what's gonna, gonna happen. I'm gonna have to score to keep us up. And I won't use the actual phrase that he used, but it's fair to say that. He would have been a little, a little apprehensive, shall we say.
0: <laughs> yes, so when indeed. The
1: penalty was Yeah, when the penalty was given and that you know, went through my head, I'm thinking, oh my God. And what he hadn't told me is that he'd missed his only other one he'd taken for Chelsea, put it over the crossbar. Yeah. Uh, this one was an absolute beauty, you know, sort of buried it in the bottom corner. And it was just such an incredible game, rollercoaster of emotions. It was so primeval almost there, the noise inside that stadium. And because of that, because it was so important, because it meant so much... And because I was so close to so many of the individuals involved in it, I think that will always probably be my favourite. Uh, hopefully, it'll be overtaken in the future by more positive things uh, than a game that you know, ultimately you know sort of avoided relegation. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably pick that one, Wimbledon in '94.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. A bit, a bit of a sort of in-house question, but hopefully, people listening will find it interesting. Do you find it easy to write your match report from that game or is it so difficult because of the emotional investment in that situation that you're almost, that it's actually the opposite and it's incredibly difficult to write about?
1: Yeah, it's weird sometimes because um, when you're doing a game of that significance, you want to do it justice. Um, and that was in the area of course when we had football echo runners so i was doing a fussy echo runner for that game and uh, everybody's going mental around me bouncing around you know so sort of thinking everton are safe and i genuinely didn't know that we were safe so i couldn't bark over three or four parts of copy you know to put on the top of me runner because i didn't know you know days before sky sports news and we'd lost sight of the fact that sheffield united who'd uh, gone two nil down So uh, sorry we were two tuning up against chelsea um, you know, so suddenly you know, sort of thrown it away and got beat 3 2. We were watching all the other fixtures that influenced everything, it wasn't just everton having to win, we also had to rely on results elsewhere. So I'd lost you know, touch of what was going on there. And it was uh, it was Phil McNulty sat next to me who uh actually said, No, it's all right, it's all right, Sheffield United have lost. And uh, so I was able to start you know, sort of barking the copy down, but then you get like a full night to you know, sort of sleep on it and think about it and cogitate on what you're going to write, uh, you know. in the Sunday morning for you know, so sort of Monday evening's echo, and I can't even remember what I wrote then. It was probably something about like never let this happen again, and it did four years later. Likewise, in '95 when we won the cup, it wasn't a particularly good report, I don't think, because I don't know, because you know, you want to make it something significant and something really memorable, and you probably try a bit too hard, and you can't. I mean, the best pieces are the ones that come naturally, that you've got a real passion for the subject matter. And, you know, you know, it comes pouring out of you without even thinking about it. And uh, in that respect, I mean, the best pieces, I think, are the pieces I wrote in defence of Joe Royal in um, in 1997, uh, when we got beat by Bradford in the FA Cup, because uh, it meant so much to me that, and that just like came pouring out of me so easily. Sometimes you get ideas for columns, that, you know, again, come like, so pouring out, and often they tend to be critical, really. I mean, the the famous one about accusing the players of taking the the piss out of the supporters because that was the headline they used in the paper. Um, You know, that all came quite easily because, you know, it was something I was very, very passionate about at the time. They're probably easier to write than the ones you have to think long and hard about Uh and, um, you know, think that you're doing a really good job when in respect you're not. What was it somebody always said to me? It was like a a great line about, uh, you know, sort of sports reporting saying if you can't get you know so 600 words you know so a good copy over you know so on deadline, just get 600 words over just get the job
0: done
1: (laughs) you just do and you know so sometimes you know so it works you know so sometimes it doesn't the bottom line is you just got to be honest you just got to be absolutely honest and believe in what you're writing and i've always done that i've never written anything that i didn't believe in
0: what was 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 Wimbledon and that season the most difficult professionally for you in the job, or was there another period that you found, for whatever reason, the most taxing?
1: No, that wasn't that difficult really, because like I say, the players I knew very well, and uh, and they were a good group of lads, and that was the era when we were allowed to go down to the training ground every single morning and have a cup of tea with the manager and talk to him. Or in mike walker's case he would talk at me for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes and then you're allowed to go back at lunchtime and speak to the players and try and get interviews and then obviously with the incredibly increasing demands of the media uh, in the millennium era and the internet era that became impossible football clubs you know couldn't do that and i think i said they started to draw you know, pull the drawbridge up on yeah. journalists and they did that so it became more difficult you know so as time progressed. But there were other, you know, sort of times when I'd written stuff that, you know, didn't find favour with, uh, you know, the players at times, and you know, we were banned. We were told we couldn't go down to the training ground as a result, um, and that was difficult. I mean, I, I wrote in the book about the. Uh, the infamous incident where I had to go down, and basically, be you know, confronted by the entire first team squad and sat in one of the changing rooms at, uh, at Belfield and explain myself to them, which was uh, an interesting experience. I think it's fair to say, and probably not one I'd care <laughs> to revisit.
0: <laughs> but um,
1: it was it was quite good as well that you know they wanted to do that and that the Echo was seen as you know influential enough you know, to be worthy of doing that with. Um, they were probably more difficult times. And then, obviously, as you know, I became more of a manager than a writer. It became difficult, you know, so trying to, trying to manage. Well, you know, so other people were writing. You know, we had poor old Greg O'Keefe going down to Australia, uh, being told that he couldn't uh, talk to any of the players while he was down there because of a headliner put on a story. <laughs> while We were up here and having to manage, you know, so that. So yeah, that there've been, you know, sort of ups and downs. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely become increasingly more difficult to forge the relationships that I did back then. The guys like yourself, I'm constantly, you know, sort of in awe of how you actually build the relationships that you do with the key figures of the football club that you have. Uh, because you don't get the access to them that I had. It was easier for me because I was allowed to let them see what kind of person I was. And if they trusted me, fine. You know, if they didn't, well, they would do and talk to me. Whereas you've almost had to do it remotely, you know, because you're doing it just literally from little Tidbits of uh, openings you get with the players at matches and at the opportunities when you're invited down to talk to them, rather than seeing them on a daily basis. So, uh, so fair play to you, Mr. Kirkbride.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, would would it be fair to say that again, professionally in that job, ninety five was 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 the high point, or is it the infamous pre seasons you've told us about? Because they just sound amazing. I mean, I know we've <laughs> talked about them on we've talked about them on the pod before, and I know there's elements of it in the book, but I just I love hearing those stories. I just think they're they're wonderful.
1: Oh, well, it was, it was great. I mean, um, I I didn't know if that was the norm, to be honest, because my first pre-season was with Howard, Howard Kendall, in uh, 1993, where we went to Balstall in Switzerland, um, which was a great trip, uh, like a little one-horse town with um, two pubs, one of which was called the Britannia, bizarrely, in, uh, in Balstall in Switzerland, uh, the hotel that we stayed in, and a Chinese restaurant that doubled up as a brothel, which was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> i can i can say with some assurance that nobody actually visited that place it was one of the uh, one of the players wandered in there by mistake thinking it was a chinese and came <laughs> running back to tell it all, all assembled what actually was going on there so that was <laughs> bizarre and the following year was the infamous you know, so sort of mike walker summer where we went to sweden to begin with where les helm the kit man and jimmy martin Sorry, Les Ham, the physio, and Jimmy Carson, the kit man, were left behind um, after we'd uh, got the. We flew to Copenhagen and got a catamaran across from Copenhagen to southern Sweden. And uh, they've been left behind in Copenhagen. (laughs) uh, We only realized that when uh, Mike Walker barked orders for the place to get onto the training pitch and uh, have a warm down and a loosener. So, Jimmy, let's get the kit. Jimmy? Les. And said, oh, Les. And it was only like about 45 minutes later where Les and Les didn't suffer fools gladly came into the reception <laughs> and said, uh, there's a taxi outside, Gaffer. The meter's ticking and I'm not paying it. <laughs> so, you know, that, that just went from bad to worse, that trip. We then had the trip to Fiefelstede in Germany the same summer. And then we had a bizarre one to aostin in the north of Italy, uh, whereby we played two 45-minute uh, matches with a 45-minute break in between just so the players could get stiff and stiffen up, you know, before the other second game. <laughs> Completely bizarre. But in the area when I was allowed to travel with the players, uh, so, you know, you did, you saw all this firsthand, and they trusted you not to report on things that they would rather not be re- reported. Not think, you know, it's on towards but just stuff that matter reflected a little bit more badly. I mean, for argument's sake, I didn't re- report on uh, Jimmy and Les getting left behind at the pause uh, the until many, many, many years later. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, little things like that that, that you witnessed, uh, but that was very much an exception because, I mean, obviously Joe Royal took over the following summer and things were very different under Joe. I mean, uh, you know, significantly, you know, sort of more professional, if you like, uh, just as engaging, you know, so lovely fellow Joe, uh, still keeping in touch with him now, great manager and it always irks me the way in which he parted company with Everton and it still disappoints me. I think both parties suffered badly for that. Mm. And in the early days of David Moyes, because it was Grace, you know, so David gets a reputation, unfairly I believe, for being a little bit dowered, a little bit, you know, so miserable. And okay, he's not, you know, the world you know, so he's not a you know laughing you know, a storyteller or you know he laughs and cracks jokes every five minutes. But he's a really good man. And he's one of the few managers I've worked with who is 100% honest. He has never once tried to mislead me or tell me a porky and plenty of managers who I consider friends have done that to, to me. Um, but, you know, so David never did. And, like, the early days of pre-seasons with him, he used to have me, you know, sort of going out in the early morning run with them and I'd, like, jog along at the back with him while the players were all at the front. And, you know, it's good just for getting to know people and they can see that, you know, the players can see that I've been accepted to a certain degree, and you know, so as part of the group a little bit. And um, that all changed, you know, when the club moved to Finch Farm, uh, whenever that was, like 10, 12 years ago. And I think clubs saw the opportunity then to try and keep, you know, so the elements of the media a little bit, you know, so more distanced. And I understand why, because the demands on them are so incredible. Uh, but I always think that the Echo, you know, should have a special relationship with Everson Football Club, and we've tried to foster that as much as we can. And I still think we have, to a degree, but certainly nothing like we enjoyed, you know, so in the, uh, you know, so nineties, noughties. and certainly prior to that, you know, my predecessor Ken Rogers was there, writing about Everson.
0: Was it, uh, uh, given, uh, you know, appreciate what you've just said there about there was that that change um, and, uh, when the club went to Finch Farm and, thing, and things changed a little bit, but was it ever, was it difficult to, at uh, uh, one stage in your career, to, to move away from the week-to-week match-going experience? Because I guess, the, you know, and I, I, I know it, you know, as well as anybody, it, it, you know, it is quite addictive in that sense of going home away pre and you literally go to every game and it is just you know in some respects it is just like being like you you know like you would be as a supporter but obviously you are working but you get to go everywhere was it was it a difficult sort of transition for you to to step back and not go to all the games and and, oh, and do that stuff?
1: 100 100% it was, it was it was crack level addiction <laughs> because from was it February 1993 uh through to was it September 2001 so we're talking a period of about 8 years uh, I didn't miss a single game home away abroad pre-season lots of youth cup games lots of pre- you know reserve games included in that mid-season friendlies at south end on a friday night uh, things like that you know so you just you felt obliged to and yeah, so my mantra was always that if fans can get there you should be there and so, you know, so I went to them all and it was only when, you know, when I got married and, uh, and you know, we were invited to Ian Kennedy, the uh, sports editor at Radio Merseyside, his wedding. And he got married on a Saturday. What sports editor does that? You know, so <laughs> I, got, I, I got married on a Sunday so I didn't miss a game. But, uh, you, know, so he, uh, you know, he invited us to his wedding in Anglesey and, um, you know, Melanie said to me, do you really need to cover Everton against Derby County at home? And I was like... Well, I do really, but you know, so so I agreed to miss it, and we did. We had a great weekend, and we drew two two. Didn't miss a great deal. Tommy Grabbeson scored one of the goals, so that like broke the umbilical cord, if you like. And then you know, when uh, John Thompson became sports editor in two thousand and four-ish, I can't remember exactly yeah, when it was. Yeah. Um, he, in his wisdom or otherwise, decided to make me chief sport writer. Which meant that I would then have to write about Liverpool Football Club as well as Everton, so I had to go down to uh, Melbourne and introduce myself to Gerard Hulley and Phil Thompson, and uh, I took down. Everyone knows my background, so you know I took along a bottle of wine, uh, Everton label uh, wine, uh, really good wine to be fair from uh, the Brown Brothers, uh, you know, a vineyard in Australia, <laughs> and you know, so that broke the ice a little bit. Um, but you know, I was able to do things, you know, a little bit, you know, so sort of fraction more detached. But yeah, it, it became difficult. But equally, that period as chief sports writer was probably the most enjoyable, uh, you know, so every time at the Echo, because I could write largely about what I wanted. And, I, you know, I had to do that Friday column. Uh, I was allowed to comment on all manner of things. And, you know, John particularly wanted me to go and, you know, interview individuals and do like these big set piece, you know, sort of sit down, chats with people. So, you know, a bit like Daniel Anderson, the other St. Helens coach, uh, Fran Hulsall, you know, sort of the Olympic class swimmer. Uh, all the boxers who you know you know so far better than i do and um just you know that i really enjoyed you know so sitting down and looking you know it's sort all of talking about spoke with people from a different perspective and i still tried to do that as much as i can in recent years done a couple of interviews recently uh, david price on his retirement you know yeah, the heavyweight did a piece with him uh sam maxwell you know so one of our you know so british champions and i still love doing stuff like that more than anything just sitting down and getting um you know, so sort of people's perspective, you know, sort of on sports. But, you know, so as my career has progressed, I've probably done less and less writing as the uh, the time gone, you know, has, has gone by. And I miss that because you go into the career to write in the first place and that's always been the passion. That's what I've enjoyed the most. But I've done it less and less uh, in recent years and obviously the uh, the job in which I'm going to, I'll probably doing it even less so again. Uh, but yeah. I, hopefully I'll be able to inform, you know, sort of what's written about Everson Football Club. So, you know, I still have some influence on things, hopefully.
0: You just remind me, going back to the new job, Prenno, when you mentioned there about, um, you know, favourite game being 84 and talking about Sharpie. You and Graham Sharp are colleagues, come next week. (laughs) You know what? I've spoken to Sharpie
1: about this, not about being colleagues, but about that game. Uh, and I've said that, you know, so what, what was your best moment, you know, genuinely of the 100 and was it 59, 160 goals that you've scored for the club, you know? So, and he actually says that one. Uh, he says, being a Scottish lad that's gone down to England, who's like playing at Wembley in front of his family and scoring a goal in an FA Cup final. And, you know, so you're far too young, Phil, to know that how important the FA Cup was uh, in the 80s. And, you know, prior to that, it was the glamour competition, mm-hmm. more glamorous than winning the league. I know that sounds a bit ridiculous, but it was, you know, the FA Cup meant everything. It was like, you know, the, the showpiece occasion, the one game that's on telly, so live, uh, build-up starts at half past ten in the morning on telly. It was just like an incredible day. So to win that, you know, for Sharpie to score the goal, he says that was probably, you know, so his high point as an Everton player. Uh, so I was quite reassured to hear that because, you know, so I felt exactly the same way. Yeah, Sharpie's, um, you know, so at boardroom level now, you know, sort non-executive director. And I've seen all the flack that's been flying around about uh, you know uh, jobs for the boys appointments and people couldn't be more wrong about Sharpie in that respect he's got a voice in that boardroom and he makes yeah. it known and I think the changes that have already been made uh, at, you know at the football club um I think you can say Sharpie's had some part to play in that you know because he's had his say on what he thinks should be done so you know so don't for a second think that he's just like a token appointment uh, you know because he's a famous player who um, has got a great history and heritage of the football club. He'll be influential, and uh, you know. So I think you know. I'm pleased to see him. You know. So I get that title, get that position.
0: Mm. Sorry to uh, just flip. I'm just thinking about when you you talk about the unbroken and broken run. Sorry of, of being at Everton games. <laughs> that am I right in thinking? I'm sure you've told me this before. In the middle of that run, there was also a period when The Echo had lost certain writers in certain positions. Are you were actually also covering Tranmere and doing the boxing?
1: <laughs> that was right at the beginning. Yeah, that was right. um uh, I started doing Tranmere. When Tranmere got promoted uh, to what is now the Championship, uh, we decided that – because we used to have an agency covering Tranmere. And we said that, well, we can't You know, – they're a championship club. We need to have a full-time writer. I was a Down Table News sub-editor. For people that, you know, so sort of aren't in journalism. That basically meant that I put headlines on stories and cut other people's stories to fit in the paper, and occasionally design pages. So I carried on doing that. But then, second half of the day, I was a tramier writer, and then I would actually go to the games, home and away, and that was brilliant. That was in an era, you know, when they just signed John Aldridge, when they had Johnny Morrissey on one wing, Pat Nevin on the other, uh, Terry Thomas uh, right back, um, Jeb Brannon, Kenny Irons, uh, you know. Played three uh, three centre-backs at a time when it was unfashionable to do so, uh, but played some great football. And some of the games I saw, that, you know, beat Derby 4-3, Wolves 4-3, West Ham 5-2, the famous 6-6 draw against Newcastle. I was there for that. It was just like wonderful football to watch. And they were a top group of lads to actually work with. So I was covering them. But then Ken Rogers was promoted to a sports editor. And uh, they didn't have anybody that could step into the, uh, you know, so the, well, they did. They had people that could step into the Everton breach, but I wanted it badly. And uh, so much so that I said, well, tell you what, I'll do both. You know, so I'll do Everton and Tram May until the end of the season. This was February till the end of the season. And, uh, you know, so you can then make a, you know, a proper appointment then. So they agreed to that. And the way it worked out, it genuinely was like it was almost like preordained. Because, uh, like, the first game I did uh, was oh, one of the first games. Everton were playing away at Coventry, and it was on a Sunday. I think Mark Ward scored, and we won 1-0. Uh, Tramme played Bristol City the day before, which is only like about what, well, you know, so Bristol to Coventry is no distance at all. Uh, the home games, Everton would play Sunday, Tramme would play Saturday. There was even a midweek game where Tramme were playing at Brentford on a Tuesday night. Everton played at Chelsea the following night when Billy Kenny <laughs> scored. And so it would be Brentford and Chelsea is like down the road. And so it was almost like, this is meant to be. And uh, I don't think there was a single occasion towards the end of that season where the fixtures clashed. So, you know, so I had to choose one over the other. And so, at the end of the season, they then said, right, okay, we can appoint a full time right, writer now. You know, so you've done sufficiently well in the Everton world, so, you know, so have it full time. And that was it then. You know, so I became the writer permanent. So, for a short spell, it was hard work. You know, <laughs> I meant a lot of miles getting put on the clock. And I was also writing about boxing then as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, so so I was trying to go here, there, and everywhere, writing about the boxers. Uh, but you wouldn't miss it. I mean, that, that's, that's a dream job, that, isn't it? You know, so being paid to write about, you know, sort of Tranmere, Everson and our top boxers. And that was in an era, you know, when we had a lot of, like, sort of top-level fighters doing really well, uh, you know, sort of British level. And, you know, so Shane Neary was coming through then as well. And it was, it, was a, it was a great time to write about sports in Liverpool.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You've talked to me before, but I always want to go back to the very start. The first job in journalism was the For me Times, wasn't it? It was, yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, I was
1: quite fortunate that I did the uh, the pre-entry journalism course uh, at Preston Poly, as was. It's now the University of Central Lancashire. And they effectively find a job for you when you're finished. And uh, they found me two, one at the Chester Chronicle, which I accepted and then uh, I got offered a job at the Formby Times, and I live in Formby, so it was like a no-brainer. So I had to write, because you did things, and to the uh, Chester Cron saying, well, thanks for your offer, but I'm afraid I've accepted a job elsewhere. I never heard back from them. I don't think they took the news that well. Uh, but, yeah, I was at the Formby Times for a year, uh, when I was a news reporter, and uh, absolute, you know, sort of tipped me cap to the... Uh, the writers on the news beat that have to yeah, go yeah. around and do really unpleasant jobs, you know, so knocking on people's doors have suffered, you know, personal tragedies. That wasn't for me, you know, so I did that for a year and then I got the opportunity to work on the sports desk at the Southport Visitor. Uh, Marine was the club I wrote about uh, back then and then Southport Football Club, you know, so after that. Uh, and at that time, I started doing shifts at the Daily Post uh, in the evening. I'd be working, you know, weeklies during the day and then the Daily Post in the evening. That's how I got my face known there. And uh, when a job opportunity came up in April 1987, I was uh, fortunate enough to get the job. And it became a downtable table news sub uh, with the, the opportunity to do occasional bits of writing. Uh, one of those occasions being the last uh, home game of the '87 title-winning season, when we were playing Spurs, and everything had been sorted out, and it was yeah, we can let Dave loose on the uh, the quotes for that game, and so I went along, and uh, Derek Mountfield scored a uh, you know a late winner, and so yeah, that was my first experience of re- reporting from Goodison, uh, a successful one. So yeah, you know that that was a really really happy memory.
0: Mm. In terms of managers, Preno, you spoke about Joe and still being in touch with Joe, as we know. But would it be fair to say that the manager you had the greatest rapport and, and affection and I guess a friendship with ultimately was Howard? Not really,
1: no. I mean, I, I knew Howard so well and I loved the man. I still do love the man. But Howard was also very, very cute operator with, with the media. And he <laughs> would use you, you know, so, you know, so you know, if, if it suited his ends, uh, but, you know, so after, you know, he resigned as Everton manager, I probably got to know him better then. Now, I only worked with him briefly because he, you know, he, he resigned on a point of principle in December '93. i didn't been doing the job about six months by then. So I never got to know him that well. Uh, as a manager, got to know him subsequently very, very well indeed. And like I say, love the man. Uh, you know, so I still keep in touch with Lily, you know, so his widow, his wife now. I uh, you know we still talk all the time. Uh, but because I worked so closely with first Joe Royal and then Walter Smith, uh, two men that I just became so, so close to, you know, to the extent that, you know, so both came to my wedding. Um, Joe, I still do love dearly, you know, so a lovely, lovely man. And he was very, very good manager for Everton Football Club. And as I said earlier, the manner in which he left the football club was just ridiculous from all parties concerned. And then Walter, um, you know, it's I loved Walter so much. And I know he gave this impression of being a dour, taciturn, Scott he wasn't anything but that was like a steel image he put up i think from you know having to deal with the uh, glasgow goldfish ball for so long yeah. and uh, you know so when he came down to this country he just maintained that and um i became very very close to walter and you know obviously you know in light of what happened only like so you know sort of a month or so ago that that hit me quite hard to be honest because like so i knew him so well and i was asked to do a number of uh, comments you know so sort of on radio and things you know so sort of speaking about him and I found it difficult holding it together, to be honest, because you know he wasn't just a, a football contact. He wasn't just you know sort of a manager that you dealt with. He became somebody that you know so I cared about and somebody that I, I was close to, and uh, you know so a lovely, lovely man. And again, it's, it's difficult now that you don't get the opportunity to build those rapport and relationships with managers. I think that you know so I was able to, uh, you know, so back in that era, and you know so maybe. You know, so the managers that we have today, although to be fair, we've been through so many of them so quickly, you don't get an opportunity to build a relationship with them, do you? No, you no, <laughs> do not. Maybe you would get the opportunity to get to know them as well as I got to know Walter and Joe. But no, probably not. <laughs> you probably get
0: um, so I guess before we finish, Ben, what, what do you think you're going to miss the most about about being on the this side of the fence, shall we say?
1: It's, it's, it sounds like a, an easy one, but it's the people, you know, so I, I've been thinking about that, you know, and I know it's been difficult to say, you know, the people because we haven't seen them for the last two years. Sure. We've been living in bubbles and we all been distanced and talking over Zoom calls mm-hmm. rather than talking, you know, sort of direct with each other. But the atmosphere in a newspaper office is like no other place, to be honest. And it's changed down the years i mean when i first started at the echo uh, when we had the daily post one side of the building and the echo the other and there was a cast of thousands on the news floor then it was such a hubbub of noise and activity and it was it was a great place to be I mean, that was in the days when the reporters wouldn't know what was going to be the splash that day. And uh, all the writers would huddle around waiting for the first edition to, like, you know, so hit the desks. And then they'd be like, yes, you know, so my stories made the page one lead. You know, and there was like real competitiveness, you know, so about that. I mean, there was like a great deal of excitement. Um, that changed, obviously, you know, so as the industry has changed, it's become, you know, away from the publishing or the, you know, the print publishing model towards, you know, the online model. But there's still, you know, so an atmosphere around, you know, so sports desks and around news floors. Uh, and it's funny, I say, I use this, like, phrase a lot. I have to dig it out. And, you know, I'll have to uh, dig it out and I uh, repeat it again later because uh, it's in uh, Simon Barnes's book about uh, the meaning of sport. Simon Barnes, who's a very, very good yeah, writer for The Times, and he talks about one night uh, when... There was some kind of it was a, a general election or something i don't know yeah, some big news story was taking place and uh, the news department wanted to borrow some of the best sports subs and the best sports writers to go across and help out the uh, the news side of things and so we called them all over and uh, they all worked there all night and they all you know so sort of spent hours and hours you know so sort of churning out stories and headlines and got the uh, story done when it was finished all the news editors were going on patting them on the back oh great job that great job we smashed it well done all the sports subs and the sports just came back to the sports desk and, uh, you know, the sports lads, well, what was it like? What was it like? Just like a Champions League night. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was you know, so we, we think we do things a little bit differently on sports. and We think we do it, you know, so better. And that's the kind of competition that we want to have. And, but there is, there's a great atmosphere. And we haven't seen it for a couple of years now, but you know yourself, you know, there's a great buzz, you know, so around the sports desk, you know, so a lot of the, the lads... Uh, I'm not going to name names and embarrass any of them, but you know, so some of the larger than life characters, you know, <laughs> so make a bit more noise than some of the others. All oh, right, so will embarrass them. Sam, Sam Carroll being uh, a <laughs> front <laughs> of them. Um, but no, just as you know, so a great atmosphere, and I'll miss that. You know, so I, I, whether it would be the same, you know, so sort of Everton, I don't know whether they'll have the same, you know, so sort of camaraderie, same banter, I'm not so sure. Uh, but yeah, I'll miss that definitely. Uh, and I will miss writing because, you know, so that's what I got into the industry to do. But you know, to bring it full circle, the time probably is right uh, to make this you know sort of step and uh, take a step back from doing that and try and you know so hopefully inform positively. You know, so what is written about Everton Football Club?
0: Yeah, and as you say, just just that last word. You you know, looking excitedly towards towards Wednesday, I guess, aren't you And, and and a new. Uh, you know, second career almost in that respect, because you've been so long with, with, as a journalist.
1: It is. I mean, it, it came unexpectedly. I mean, it wasn't something that I was actively seeking. Um, you know, if anything, I was, you know, so I don't know, looking forward to, you know, so what I was going to be doing next to, you know, sort of reach PLC, but the offer came, uh, you know, so from left field really. But once it did, I didn't really have to think about it for too long, to be honest. You know, so working for the club that, you know, sort of followed and written about and supported all my life, it's a bit of a dream job bit of a no-brainer really uh you know so it's hard to say yes i suppose i think i said to you before didn't i when i was uh, talking about it, it probably is a dream job at a bit of a nightmare time but, you know, <laughs> so i'm hoping that you know so things will improve you know so for the better going forward uh they could go a little bit worse i hope to god they don't because if they do we really are in trouble uh but you know so i'm hoping things will improve you know of so for the positive going forward and hopefully i can play a small part in that uh, but yeah the time was right i'm looking forward to it. i'm excited about it you know, and hopefully i can you know sort of have a small impact at the very least
0: yeah well no absolutely no doubt about that Pran. i think you'll have a sizable impact at the football club and yeah uh, an appointment that's been uh, i think for most people who know you and understand what you're about it's, it's a welcome one isn't it i think the club have made a very good move there so um good luck and you know <laughs> you. I, and i, I don't know to speak for myself i speak for everybody on the desk both past present uh, and, and and maybe the younger element of the crew now who we, only sort of worked with you slightly over the last few months even there's been so much change yeah. but uh, privilege and an honour and um, learnt a hell of a lot always aspired to be as good a writer as you are but obviously we've all spectacularly failed in that I'll because we would no, no. we, ne- <laughs> we, we could never get that close um, and a huge loss to the Echo but you go with a legacy and I think you know I think it's it's plain for everybody to see what that legacy is and and what you've what you've done for the echo and, and you know and the voice and the weight that what you've say and what you have said has carried and um yeah a sad day but um we're, we're all thrilled for you because it's it's a heck of a move isn't it so uh, no I hope it all goes uh, swimmingly
1: well I appreciate that that means a lot and uh yeah, yeah so let's uh, keep our fingers crossed so uh, up the toffees
0: Indeed. Right, you've got a uh, leaving speech to deliver soon, Penna, so we best wrap up. <laughs>
1: I'm not intending to. I'm hoping it's going to be made about me and I can just say a few sound bites afterwards, but we'll see. Oh,
0: okay. We'll see. Uh, okay, this has been a very, very special Royal Blue podcast. Hopefully you have enjoyed it. Um, more standard podcasts, although not standard. Uh, when Everton appoint a new manager, hopefully that will be in the next couple of days. Uh, we'll bring that to you when we can and when we know. But for now, Preno, good luck and uh, thank you, and everybody, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.